Episode 133, Wilson Jones. Hey, it's Nikki Llewellyn and you're on Gut Plus Science. This podcast is on a mission to increase engagement at work. And on this show, we equip CEOs and people first leaders of all levels to make impact. Let's get to it. Hey, Gut Plus Science listeners, it's Nikki. Here we are in our fourth episode of Designing the Purpose Driven Workplace. And I have exciting news to announce. Our partner in this subseries, Performa, has big news to be celebrated. They are now known as EUA, and we are celebrating the merger of these two outstanding organizations, Performa with EUA, becoming one. Doug Page, former CEO of Performa and now vice president of EUA, is co-hosting with me today, and we have Wilson Jones, former CEO of Oshkosh Corporation, with us as our guest. We are talking about designing a people-first culture. Doug, I am so excited to co-host with you today, and what a treat to get to learn from Wilson Jones. Doug, I know you and Wilson are friends and have had some history and adventures from the past. I'll turn it over to you to introduce Wilson and get us started. Well, thank you very much, Nikki. It was almost five years ago when I first met Wilson, and the circumstance under which that happened was interesting. I run an architectural firm, and we competed for the new global headquarters that Oshkosh Corporation was planning in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And we were honored and uh, very pleased to have won that project. And and I got to know Wilson throughout the interviewing process as well as when we initiated the project. And one thing rang true right from the very beginning on that project, and it was the strategic initiative, one of the strategic initiatives that Wilson was trying to advance in a very large corporation, and that was putting people first. And probably even more importantly than that was when we got to know his team that was actually uh, managing the project, the notion of a people-first culture was more than just words. It found root in their organization, and we were honored and awarded the opportunity to allow that to be enhanced and enabled through the design of a new global headquarters. And it was an inspiring purpose around which to design a, a brand new facility. So it's, it's my honor today to introduce to you, Nikki, and to all your listeners, the former CEO and chairman of Oshkosh Corporation, Wilson Jones. So exciting, Wilson. As Doug shared, and I've seen various thought leadership pieces from you, to know that you have a strong conviction for people-first leadership. Where does this come from? First of all, Nikki, I just want to thank uh, Doug for that nice introduction. I'm uh, honored and humbled to be a part of that, and, and Doug uh, and his team it did such a great job with us. So fun time to spend with both of you today. But when you when you go back to you know my conviction on people first leadership, where does it come from? Really started I think as a, a youngster growing up. Uh, my dad was very good about caring for others. We shared our food out of our garden with with people uh, up and down our street, and he displayed behaviors that that were fundamental to me. And as I got into through school, I had a coach that uh, really engaged our team, our opinions, our thoughts mattered. And I'd never had a coach in athletic forum uh, value my opinion too much. It was, you know, just tell you what to do, so to speak. And then as I got into business, kind of keeping in mind that foundation of fundamentals, and I probably wasn't as specific about it, but as I, I grew in business, I, I paid attention to how leaders operated. And you know, I had some good experiences and some bad experiences. I remember being part of a company at a, at a very young age, and uh, we had some really great products, good process, but there was no focus on people. It was just top down, get the job done, 
And I always thought we could be so much better. And so, you know, those experiences kind of add up. Then being part of a company that maybe we didn't have the best products, maybe not the best process, but we had people who were passionate about the business and how we could win in a lot of cases where we didn't have the superior products or the superior support. So I think over the years, I just, I come to the conclusion that performing cultures are, are good, but performing along with healthy cultures are even better. And that's kind of been my foundation through through business. I have been reminded now three times this week, and we're barely into the week so far, about the power of one single leader on an entire life can be so profound. So thank you for sharing that. And Wilson, I'd love for you to walk us through your experience implementing culture change at Oshkosh. What were your first steps in shifting culture? When I got to Oshkosh, we were a performing culture, but it was really an old, what I'd call traditional manufacturing environment. We didn't, in my opinion, value the people like we should. And so when I became president of Pierce, we started implementing some of the, the people first culture there. We called it 212. It was a different name on the strategy, but it was really about engaging our team. And then we were able to do that uh, after we acquired JLG. I went out there for a while. And then when I came back, was the COO and president kind of in waiting to be CEO. I really started building my thoughts on how can we get our team together and really have a good people strategy? Because we never really, if you looked at our strategy deployment matrix, we didn't have anything around people. It was products, you know, innovation, manufacturing strategies, things like that. So I knew we had to start first with our leadership team. You know, if the leaders aren't walking the talk and believing, you know, being genuine about caring for people, it doesn't matter what you do below that. It's not going to take. It'll, it'll be read through as, as not being genuine. So we had 11 leaders. We were a pretty competitive leadership team and more of an individual contributor type philosophy. And so we met and, and it had to be our team. It wasn't just me, but we, we talked about the things that we needed to change, the behaviors we need to, to model in order to have our organization be one of those that could be more focused on people and being a caring and healthy organization. So first we had to get trust and respect going. We had some issues with that on our leadership team. And when you have that, then it just filters down through the organization. Second, we, we needed to really collaborate more and stop being competitive with one another. Third was we had to really work. We were trusting and respecting and we were collaborating. We should be able to gain alignment. And then the fourth, have fun. And I think my team would have told you that was probably the one they enjoyed the most. We had never modeled the behavior that was okay to have fun in our organization. And so we, we started working. And we all agreed those were non-negotiable. And, and unfortunately, we had a couple of team members that couldn't make that switch. And so they moved on. And then uh, we brought in a couple of individuals that really did get the importance of, of putting people first. After we did that, we were able to go to the organization and say, what do you want the culture to be? And I'll, I'll never forget the first conversation I had with our board. We were just into it in 2016. And I told them it's going to take us probably five years to really get this culture going in a direction I think that we'll all be, be pleased and proud of. So we did an engagement survey and I knew it would be terrible and it was. But what we did is we listened with empathy and we went around in town halls. And again, not just to check the box that we listened, but we listened with empathy. And it was loud and clear. Our team said, we want you to engage us develop us and connect us. And so we started building strategies. That was our people first strategy. It was in front of our product strategies, our manufacturing strategies, our sales strategies. We started with people. You know, that's our greatest asset in our organization is our people. 
And by just focusing on those three areas and starting driving initiatives that enabled those three to really be visible to people, that we were doing what they asked us to do, our team came to me after 18 months and said, we want to do another engagement survey. And, and I initially pushed back saying, yeah, we're not ready. We're not, we're just got our toe in the water here, but we did it. And uh, I was amazed. Uh, we improved our, our, all of our scores in double digits. So it told me our team was, was really starving to have that culture where they felt like it was not just leaders company. It was, it was their company too. So it was a process where we had to get our leadership moving in the right direction, walk in the talk, and then move to our people. And it wasn't, hey, these are the 11 things that leadership says we're going to do to have a good culture. No, we didn't do it that way. We did it from the bottom up. What do you want the culture to be? And they came up with the engage, develop, and connect. So talk a little bit more about the time that it takes to shift organizational culture and how to lead with perseverance through that. I'm getting a lot of calls, as you can imagine, since I retired of CEOs, boards. Hey, how did y'all shift your culture? You know, we went from a $29 stock to $115 stock. We didn't have the initiative to said that's what we were doing, but the momentum of our people and really having them involved, you know, engaged, it really helped us move the needle in markets that weren't growing very much. But when I get some of these calls, if I hear, well, you know, my board wants me to do it, or, you know, I, I, you did it, why don't you do it, help, help us do it. You know, that's, that, that won't work. It's gotta be genuine, you know, that, that heartfelt that this is what we need to do. So as you can imagine, I'm not taking on many of those opportunities because it, it really would be kind of a waste of time. But when you do step off, and, and if you are serious, I'll tell you, you will be tested early. And uh, I'll, I'll give you one example, Nikki, that I know everybody was watching me and how I acted through it. But we had uh, been building a lot of uh, MRAPs for the Middle East, and um, that contract was winding down. We had won the Humvee replacement contract, but it was in low-rate production. So we were about 100 people heavy in our defense business. And so everybody was saying, okay, because I came out early and said, we're not going to be a company that if, if things go bad, we're just going to lay everybody off. That had been some of our patterns. And I didn't, I didn't want that to carry on. That's not the way to treat people. But there were a lot of naysayers that saying, okay, yeah, let's, let's see what he does when we get into one of these situations. And so we were fortunate. We went to our, our union team members and uh, they had 88 team members that were within a year of retiring. So we approached them and said, can we bridge, let's bridge these 88. And that way we cover the, the hundred that we have too many. And then as the full rate production picks up on our new contract, those hundred jobs will be there. We'll add them back. And at first I think people were surprised that we didn't do the old traditional way. And so it took them a little bit, but then they came back and said, they're serious. They're serious about not just treating people. You know, it's, it's the old adage that, don't worry, Mr. Shareholder, things go bad. I'll just, you know, treat my people bad and we'll take, keep take, taking care of you. We, we didn't want to be one of those companies. And I think we proved it. There were three or four of those examples that, you know, everybody's watching saying, is this just the flavor of the month or are they really serious? And, and we proved it out early and we persevered through some tough times, took some shots on the chin, but we held our ground. We didn't get weak need. And, you know, I think it, it paid off. And Wilson, you mentioned people strategy being a top priority. I, I think we hear that term a lot as leaders, especially in the community of which this podcast lives. I'd love for you to share what do you mean by people strategy and then what is core to creating that? I think I'll go back to what I said earlier about you have to listen to what the people are interested in. And you know, on the engagement side, 
they wanted not just a seat at the table, but they wanted to share ideas. And, you know, we said early on, 15,000 brains are a lot better than 11. And so the engagement process was getting, getting a lot of our team members involved in cross-functional, cross-segment opportunities where we saw new ideas that the top 20 of the company hadn't thought about. You know, on the development side, they wanted to be developed not only professionally, but personally. You know, we felt like if we could provide any type of personal finance planning classes, health and fitness classes, our goal was that we wanted our team members to go home every day feeling as good or better as they did when they came in. So there are a lot of strategies that fit into there. And then on the connect side, they wanted to be connected to each other, to our customers. And one of the things that we had probably missed over the years was they want to be connected to the community. So we started paying volunteer hours. We had strategies where we wanted our team members to be involved in every 5013C, you know, community organization in the communities where we live and work. I mean, our, our bottom line was we felt like the, the better we take care of our people, the better they're going to take care of our customers, which allows us to take care of the shareholders. We are publicly traded. But then, it, more importantly, it helps us take care of the communities where we live and work. In most cases, we're the biggest employer wherever we're located. And so that was always important to us. But by doing it the way we did it, it was their strategy, Nikki. It wasn't what I thought we should do. It was what, hey, I want my company to engage me. I want them to develop me, both personally and professionally. And I want to be connected. I want to be part of this company. And so I, I think the people strategy, you, you always have to have your strategies for talent development, talent acquisition. You know, you can get very technical with those terms. We did all that under the name of Engage, Develop, and Connect. All those strategies were covered in that, but it showed our team members that anytime they picked up the strategy deck, the first thing they saw was it's about the people. There's a, a survey that was done out there and it talked about what makes a team member more productive. And the bottom line was happiness. And so what was the number one determinant of happiness? Meaningful work with people who care. And we had the meaningful work. Now we're working on the caring side and building relationships and it went a lot quicker than we thought it was. And so anybody listening that thinks, oh, wow, we want to do that, but it may take forever. That was me. After two and a half years, I'm thinking, wow, it's unbelievable how fast we were going. And, and they're still going that way. Meaningful work with people who care just gives me the feels. I love it. Thank you for sharing that. And then I wanted to just mention when I had asked that last question around people strategy and how do you prioritize, at, you know, building that and what's core, it made me think of why this podcast was named Gut Plus Science. So people are always like, I don't get it. Where'd the name come from? I'm like, well, the goal is to impact employee engagement, to give inspiration and ideas to take action on making movement on employee engagement inside inside of an organization. And it has to be a mix of the science, which is like understanding and listening to what is actually going on inside of your organization and starting with data. And then the gut from the leader that's leading with the people first leadership and like the heart and soul of that, that leader. And so that's where it came from. So it was kind of speaking in and intertwining with what you were sharing. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the importance of having culture champions and how they helped you make the shift in building out the culture at Oshkosh. What did this look like in getting started when you had some early adopters that wanted to help champion your people first culture vision? I don't know if you've ever seen uh, or listeners have ever seen that old video about the man dancing on the hill. And it's a it's outdoor concert and Everyone's sitting down. And all of a sudden, this one guy's over dancing, and and uh, everybody's looking at him like, "What's that crazy guy doing?" And then all of a sudden, two or three people get up in the dance, and then four or five more, and then by the 
two thirds of the song, nearly everyone's up dancing. And I would say our journey was similar to that. I had some real good champions on the leadership team. And then that level right below us that really spreads out wide in the organization, there were some really good champions there. Some of them had worked with us at Pierce and some of them had worked with us at JLG. So they had been in that environment of servant-led model. And I think, you know, our biggest concern was throughout our organization, and I think this is is true for a lot of uh, industrial companies, is the traditional leadership was top down. Uh, They didn't model the best behavior. Sometimes there was some pretty intense conversations, maybe not even talking to people with dignity and respect. And so, you know, some of our team members said, look, these individuals or this individual is not going to make it. They just can't do it. And I'm like, well, how much have we worked with them on? How much have we coached them and mentored them on this? Because the only thing they're guilty of is not having the right behaviors ever modeled for them. They're good people. And so we really pushed in three different levels of leadership training, you know, for that first level leader that's just became a leader, for that second level that's growing to maybe 12 to 15 person teams. And then we had a top level leadership for executives. And it was amazing. I'd get emails, voicemails from spouses saying, I don't know what you're doing to my spouse, but keep doing it. They're different at home. You know, they're listening. They're treating our children better. So it, it just, it, it started filtering through. And we saw a lot of people who I felt like had had handcuffs on and all of a sudden those handcuffs were off. And even if they were maybe not a leader, we convinced everyone that everyone's a leader in the organization. You're a leader of your area. You know, you're kind of the CEO of you. So let's put those CEOs to work. I think people all of a sudden realized, not only can I have some fun at this, but I'm valued. People care. I mean, they care about what I think. And more importantly, they're wanting me to to be better in life. And so it really was momentum. I said it earlier. I, I, I thought five years and maybe we would have a third of, of our team members kind of in the flow of this. and two and a half years, we had close to 50% engaged as far as really working well and driving this culture in the right direction. Okay. And next I want to dig in on two of the leadership practices that you bring with you everywhere you go. First one is entrusting people. You believe that a people first leader entrusts people. Can you illustrate that for us? I think, again, it goes back to my experiences and being a, a young leader in a couple of companies and realizing that Maybe the leadership didn't trust trust us. And I always was puzzled, well, why would they hire you if they're not going to trust you? And we had to get our team to understand that it's okay if someone makes a mistake, especially if they're trying to drive continuous improvement, if they're trying to lead into uh, some innovation. We want to applaud that risk-taking. I would call it calculated risk-taking. And then more importantly, we learn from that. And I know looking back, when I was allowed to be creative and to use, you know, my thoughts and ideas, A, it made me feel better and B, I learned, I learned a ton. And so we really worked on becoming that learning organization and trusting people. And, and you know, I, I remember when I first became CEO, I had a couple of our senior leaders come in and go, hey, I want to explain this to you. They would go through the detail of it. And what, what do you think we should do? And the first few times I would say, well, whoa, wait a second you're smarter. This is your area. What do you think we should do? And a few of them just had never had that opportunity. And some of them still were like, whoa, wait a second. But then a lot of them said, wow, we saw flowers start to bloom. And uh, I think 
that filtered down because we modeled that on the senior level. Well, then they started modeling that through their organizations, the functional areas and the segments. And um, one of the best things I I hear when I still see people in public and they come up and talk about their experience at one of our companies is, you know, really appreciate how the team appreciated us and valued our opinions and our ideas. And then the other one is relationship building. So I know you believe that a people first leader prioritizes relationship building and I'd love for you to share some ways that you do this or have done this in the past and inspire some new ideas for our listeners. Cause I know everyone is always looking for ways to truly connect human to human. I'm guessing a lot of listeners have, have been, or maybe still in organizations where they do the six month performance review and then the annual review every 12 months. And I compare it to a football player or a basketball player, the coach isn't going to wait six months to tell them they've got to stop fumbling the ball or to tell them they need to do something different on the field. They're going to coach them in that experience, in that time frame. And so I never did like that. I think it was created a lot of anxiety for our team members. You know, why would the, the leader not be talking to them every six months about their performance? And so I felt like if we could create this environment where we had more what we call frequent meaningful conversations a you'd build relationships i think we all know if you think of the family environment we don't always like our family members but we never stop loving them and that's because we have relationships right and so we wanted to build those kind of relationships and i really had to push i won't pick on doug because i'm sure architects aren't like this but I'll, i'll say our engineering team relationships and frequent meaningful conversations hasn't always been high on a lot of, of our engineering friends list. And so we really had to help them understand that to be a good leader, you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And so if sitting down and having meaningful conversations is not easy for you, work on it. It gets easier. And you know, we started seeing relationships that, that we didn't see before. Our turnover was reduced to, to next to nothing. Uh, and we saw people raising their hands saying, I want to do more. I want to, to get into this training program, or I want to consider going to this other segment. And when we started, I used myself as an example on how we have to conform a little bit here from a relationship standpoint. When you think about my generation, we grew up and the golden rule was preached. You know, you treat people the way you want to be treated. And I was speaking at a conference with Bob Chapman, and I made mention of, of something like that. And he stopped, he came up on the stage. And embarrassed me, which Bob can do very well. But he basically pointed to a young lady on the front row and said, um, what area do you work in, ma'am? And she said, uh, finance. And he looked at me and said, so you were a linebacker in football. And I said, okay. And uh, he turned to her and said, ma'am, do you want to be treated like a linebacker? And, of course, she's shaking her head, no, uh, not really interested in that. So I'm like, well, thanks, Bob. You've embarrassed me in front of 500 people now. Now what are you going to do? It was a coaching I minute. Mean, moment for him. And he said, we have to think about the platinum rule. And, you know, we all learn different. We all have different sensitivities and how we work and operate. And so the platinum rule is really getting to know someone from a relationship and knowing how they need to be treated and work with them that way. You know, someone may be, you know, an audio listener, someone may be a visual learner. We have to, to, if you don't know your people, you don't know that. And so what happens in organizations, they treat everybody the same. Well, it's just like that young lady in finance. She doesn't want to be treated like me. And so you can't do that if you don't know, know people. And so when I walked around 
I watched for a lot of that and coached a lot of that uh, from the standpoint of the platinum rule. The other thing that helps build relationships is, is parenting. If you think about parenting, uh, and a lot of our team members are parents, when you're talking to that individual on your team, you have to realize that individual is someone's son or daughter. And if you've had children or back in the day when you were, you know, growing up, would you want to be treated or want your children treated the way that person was talking to that individual? That woke a lot of our team members up like, oh, wow, I wouldn't want someone talking to my son like that. You know, and I think that was a teaching moment that we pushed a lot in our leadership training is you have to stop and think about what you're going to do or say with a team member, because I go back to the awesome responsibility of leadership. The Mayo Clinic did this this study and they came back and talked about your supervisor or your manager has more influence over a team member's life than their, than their general practitioner, than their doctor, than their pastor or their priest. So how are we treating people in this workplace? More importantly, when they go home, what does that mean for their home life with their, their spouse or their kids? And that started waking our team members up that it was more than just get the, the units built and delivered and sold. Hey, we've got, some more responsibility here in, in this people business. And I think all those were practical and simple. And so they were easy to grasp. We never tried to get real technical as we were, were introducing this and, and driving it forward. We wanted to make it very relatable. And I think that, that echoed well with our team members. So the platinum rule, I love that. We are definitely throwing that in the show notes. So beautiful. And just such a great reminder, as well as the parenting hat, Bob Chapman was on this show as well and had shared that and really anchored us in that, that, you know, if we put on our parenting hat in leadership, really, it takes you right to what does people first leadership mean? Just so good. So thank you for inspiring those so many great stories. Just so good. And um, Wilson, I would love to get back to Doug and talk a little bit more about the partnership with Performa, now EUA. So exciting to uh, create this people first workplace that you all did together. So why was space a priority at Oshkosh and what made Performa stand out to be the partner selected to work with you to do that? Biggest limiting factor in really growing and, and driving this people-first culture was the way we were located. We were in over 30 different buildings around Oshkosh. You think about in the winter, someone's got to go from one building to another. In some cases, that building might be across town, navigate through snow, traffic, you know, winter conditions. It, it just wasn't ideal. So we we knew, and one of our core values is we're better together. So to build relationships, we need to get everybody into a global headquarters. A headquarters that wasn't just for the corporate team. I don't, I don't really like that word corporate. It's, it was really a global headquarters because we wanted everyone uh, as part of our company to be able to come through there and have development opportunities, engagement opportunities, opportunities to connect. So that's why we set up the, the U, your Oshkosh University upstairs where we had our learning center. But more importantly, just an open environment where where everyone could get together and and build these relationships that we were talking about and have those frequent meaningful conversations. You know, in terms of Performa, when we first started meeting with them, one thing I appreciated about them is they listened. They really listened. And I've probably said that earlier. Listening is important to me. I, I watch for people and and I guess my perception will tell me sometimes if people are listening or if they're not. And uh and Doug and his team really were good listeners. I like to hear Jason Havlick's story that they may not have had the best proposal, but 
they were the best fit for us. And when we do things, whether it's an acquisition, a joint venture, the first thing we're looking for is fit. You know, does it, is it a cultural and value fit? And they were a glove fit for us, a really good fit. And, and I don't mean to mean their proposal. It was really good, but Jason said that. So I have to needle dug a little bit, but you know, the, the finished product was unbelievable. It exceeded my expectations. My wife would tell you, I still talk about how I, I can't believe the job that they did. And it was just, it was unbelievable. And it really set us up to execute those core values that, that were so important to us. So the investment to bring all the locations together, tying your core values in, opportunity to bring the people underneath Oshkosh together to build relationships, meaningful relationships and connect, all beautiful things on why did we choose to do this project. Tell us about how the new space then elevated Oshkosh's people first leadership impact. Doug probably knows this about me, but I'm kind of the walk around leader. I would drive my admin crazy because she'd look up and I'd be gone. But I really believe in good, visible leadership walking around. And I was really watching when we moved in to see how everybody was doing in moving around. And the way the building was set up is there's a lot of different areas to go to, have those conversations and get out of that the office or the environment of sitting at a desk. It was beautiful, you know, window areas all throughout the building, fireplaces, just no excuse to not be able to have a, a place to go and have that quiet, meaningful conversation. And I was blown away. Uh, we had actually had people that would move over and work in the windows. And I was watching closely without saying it, productivity. You know, we do have to perform. We're publicly traded. And I can tell you our performance went up 10 to 15% by just getting in that building and getting everybody together. You know, one of the most rewarding conversations I had, it was we're probably in the building about three weeks and I was walking through one of our uh, uh, finance areas and two ladies were, were talking and you could tell they were just having a great conversation. And I just stopped and said, hey, I'm so glad to see you guys talking and sharing ideas and having these conversations. And one of them looked at me and said, you know, we've been working together for three years and this is the first time we've met. Now think about that. They're in the same value stream. You know, how can they improve their processes by never meeting face to face? I mean, we're a relationship company. And so overnight they're already coming up with ways to eliminate manual steps in a, in a finance process. So that's one example of how productivity shifted and uh, really had people were, were able to just work better together. You know, when you, when you have a meeting and you're on the phone, you do the agenda and then you leave, you, you hang up. In the building, when you have a meeting, there's always the opportunity of two or three hanging around after the meeting, chatting on something since we're all together or an ideal, hey, since we're all together, let me, let me throw this out. That just doesn't happen in the in the phone or, unfortunately, the virtual world that we've been in as well as it does in person. So a lot of good stories around how that, that worked well. I'll work in one comment, too. I'm so pleased that we made this step and started in, in 2016 because what the world and what all these companies have gone through in the last couple of years around COVID, I think we would have got through it, but not near as well as we got through it because we were already, you know, working together in that spirit of people first, persevering, doing things, doing things the right way. It made a big difference to work through the COVID and, and they're still working through that. But uh, I'm so, so proud we started when we did, because I know companies that didn't and they've, they've struggled mightily through this epidemic. 
this is so cool to get this illustration in my head. If Performa now EUA has some pictures of the space creation, just planting some seeds, Doug, if anyone on your team has those, we'd love to link them in. I'd love to show this off. I just got a feel for what that space looks like. So such a neat project that you all got to work on together. And Doug, I want to turn it back over to you before we head into our lightning round. Wilson, it's it's so obvious that you have a passion to help those that you've led in the past to align with meaningful work. Can you help uh, close us out on sharing some of your best practices around leading others to experience meaning in their work? Doug, it starts with that leadership model and and having leaders understand that awesome responsibility that they have now. Uh, it's so much more than you know delivering the production quota for the week. You've been endowed with with people's lives, and so we really stress you can have giant impact on others. Do you want that impact to be positive or negative? And for us, everybody will lean to the positive. I talked earlier about parenting and, and really having leaders be mindful that they have the responsibility of taking care of some people's children. Now, how, how are they doing with that? Now, it's okay to hold our children accountable. I think we probably all do that and uh, be clear, have expectations. But at the same time, you can treat them with dignity and respect and still do the critical work. Uh, we were certainly doing that. You know, having, having people understand what I mentioned earlier about, you know, you have more influence, more time influence than someone's spiritual leader, than someone's doctor. And, you know, for me, and I think our team would say the same thing, we take that as a very important role that we play. So what I tried to do in my leadership style was allow people to, to go. You know, I, I think we have to trust our team members. We always had, you know, a clear communicated strategy that everybody had helped build. But then, you know, no one needs to be micromanaged. If they do, then they're probably in the wrong role. And I think just getting our leaders comfortable that it's, it's okay if, if we make a, a miscue here and there. Let's learn from it. Let's don't have our people afraid that they're going to be fired if they make one, you know, misstep. And so it was kind of fun for me to see a lot of leaders that had that kind of hard shell all of a sudden realize I don't have to be like that to get things done. You know, I can work people. You know what? They actually are more productive when I work with them like that. So when I think of best practices, you know, to me, you, you got to be genuine. You know, people read through that if you're not genuine. And I, I always call them genuine behaviors. You know, be authentic, be yourself. Uh, Bob Chapman told me when I was becoming CEO, he said, don't try to be something you're not. You know, you're not a a finance whiz. You're not an engineer. You know, you're a strong commercial leader. That's what you need to excel at. And then you good leaders around you to have those other skill sets. I talked a lot about, we don't want roller coasters in our work life. We want to be consistent. Uh, our team members deserve that. I always said, be relatable because that helps build relationships. And then we have to communicate clear expectations. And, and by, you know, having those fundamentals, I call them fundamentals, Doug, more than best practices. It really led to trust and I think it really filtered through, you know, our, our whole organization. When we started, a lot of people would, would be handed strategies that they were supposed to be involved in, in in the previous years. And they really didn't understand, okay, what does this mean for the company? So we really hit the pause button and we explained the why. Why are we doing this? And team members all of a sudden realized, okay, I get it. We get up every day to serve the everyday hero. And no matter what position I play in this company, it supports that everyday hero. That's an important job. It's critical. 
And when I think of best practices, and, and I'm coaching a CEO right now, and one of the things I'm working with him is on his fundamentals. Smart, smart individual, but sometimes he forgets the basic fundamentals that are so important for a leader. And so, you know, I go back to the old uh, story, John Wooden, the famous basketball coach at UCLA. A lot of people probably heard when, when he incoming freshmen would come in, they would sit down. He wouldn't let them put their socks and shoes on until he came into the, into the dressing room. And then he showed them. Now, these are 18, 19, 20-year-old basketball players. He showed them how to put a sock on. He rolled the sock over his foot. He made the sock completely smooth. So there was nothing that would distract that player from a rubbing a blister or anything like that. And he, he used that as you start with the fundamentals from the feet up. And a lot of times we don't put our socks on right in business and it creates distractions. And those distractions can cause problems in business. And we wanted to be a company that started fundamentally with making sure our people were comfortable. And more importantly, that they were engaged and being developed and connected. And, you know, I, I'm so proud of the team. I, I, I get way too much credit because it was a team thing. I spent more of my time probably staying out of their way than in it. But it's just it's just been very rewarding to see, see that. And, and I'm cheering for them every day now after retirement. So good. Wilson, thank you for spending time with us today and for the incredible People First Leadership Mentoring that you provided to our community in this short conversation, so full. Um, if we all could take one thing that we learned and apply it, imagine the meaningful impact we would make as a whole just from this one short episode, just so many great key takeaways. So listeners, try something and let us know what you try. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to hear from our sponsor message today and we'll come right back to our lightning round where we'll get to learn just a little bit more about the personal side of Wilson. We'll be right back. Gut Plus Science has just joined the People Forward Network. Gut Plus Science has been on a journey for three and a half years and we got inspired to create a global podcast network that captures the most incredible efforts of people first leaders and humans working on a meaningful mission. We believe that the workplace is the largest mission field for change and the People Forward Network is the largest community of humans on a shared journey to live life full of meaning. We'd love for you to join the People Forward Network. There are all kinds of new shows and existing shows coming together under one umbrella to bring you the best content as a community on a mission. Can't wait for you to join us. See the link to peopleforwardnetwork.com in the show notes. All right, we're back on Gut Plus Science. Doug Page and I are here with Wilson Jones, and we're into our lightning round where we have a few questions just to learn a little bit more about the personal side of you, Wilson. So the first question is, what is your favorite book of all time? Or if that's a little challenging, a favorite recent read that you'd like to share with our listeners today? Yeah, I think I would throw two books at you, Nikki. First, would I have to say it because he'll call me if I don't, is Bob Chapman's Everybody Matters. But it was a great book. I read that in preparation. Uh, before I became CEO. And uh, if anybody is getting serious about working to, to have a better culture in their company, I would highly recommend reading Bob's book, Everybody Matters. The second one goes back a number of years. It was probably one of the first business books that had influence on me. It was Jim Collins' Good to Great. And the thing I hang on to in that, and I think it's helped me in business, is uh, how Collins talked about the hedgehog philosophy, that businesses people need to understand that what are you good at and that's what you need to pour the pour the gas on uh things that you're not good at should you be buying a company that doesn't relate to anything you do should you be venturing into something that you don't have the skill set to do 
and I've used that over the years to keep from making maybe a wrong acquisition, uh, maybe making a wrong venture into a market. I really use that more as a, as my compass uh, in business to, am I being that hedgehog that I should be? And then taking Bob's Everybody Matters and applying that healthy side to the performance is two great books for me. Then Wilson, what is your favorite hobby when you're not working? Right now it's golf. And I'm trying to, you know, back before I got into executive leadership, I was, I was in that commercial world, marketing and sales, and uh, was a decent, you know, low handicap golfer. And over the years, I haven't played much golf. So I'm going through the pains now of getting back into that mode and understanding it's going to take a while. But I, I do love to play golf. And how about your favorite vacation spot? Italy. Italy. Jane and I love going over there. We have some friends. We had a, a business venture over there with a, an individual and became great friends over the years. And unfortunately, COVID slowed us down a little bit, but we'll be going over there soon and, and just love the whole country. Obviously, the food, uh, wine, all that's this awesome country. And Wilson, how can our listeners connect or stay in touch with you after the show today? I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn and uh, happy to connect there. Oh, I love the stories and experiences from Wilson Jones today about building a people-first culture. So many great takeaways. Now, to summarize my truth you can act on. Number one, engagement strategy begins with asking our people and listening and acting on what we learn. Wilson shared that at Oshkosh Corporation, they heard loudly their people saying that they wanted to be engaged, developed, and connected to the meaning of their work, and they made this a priority. So it all starts with asking, listening, and acting. Number two, culture shift requires leadership to model the behavior change. A couple of examples. Example one, people are watching us as leaders. If we say we're people first, what do we do when faced with difficult layoff decisions? Example two, Encourage and create intentional ways to have more regular, meaningful conversations and less 60-day reviews. All right. And third key takeaway today in our Truth You Can Act On, practice the platinum rule versus the golden rule. Treat people the way they want to be treated, not the way that you want to be treated. So good. We'll see you next time. We just left the world a little bit better. Now go do something with it.